Welcome back to another episode of State of the Art, the podcast that sits at the intersection of art and technology. I'm Gabe BC, your host. You can always send me an email at gabe at thestateoftheart.org. Uh, if you have any suggestions for guests or questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, uh, you can also follow us at State of the Art on Instagram. Um, last week, we had an art collector, Annette Doms. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to it. Super interesting uh, discussion about collecting media art. This week, we have an artist, uh, a friend of mine, actually, named Sarah Rothberg, who works in VR mostly, but also AR and a lot of other different formats. Uh, we're going to talk about how she got into working with VR, how she makes sort of poetic VR installations. Uh, she has a show actually coming up on February 6th in New York. So we talk about that, too. And if you happen to be in New York, go check it out. It's going to be at Bitforms Gallery in uh, Chelsea. Oh, sorry. No, Bitforms is in Lower East Side now. Wow, that happened a while ago. Where's my brain been? Uh, so <laughs> it's going to be a really fun episode. Uh, if you're into mixed reality at all, this is a great one for you. So let's take it away. Sarah Rothberg, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about your work. How did you get started? What's your background? Did we start? Yeah, we're starting. Oh, this is okay. It. Um, a little bit about my work. So I mostly do VR and AR, but other kinds of interactive artwork too. I like to call myself an interactive media artist. Took me a while to get to that statement. What were you before that? Before that? Well, I thought I was a poet. Like I wrote a lot of poems and I thought I would be a poet. And then I realized that that just wasn't ever going to reach the number of people that I wanted to reach. And so I was always really interested in technology. And then I started to learn how to code and do tech stuff. And I kind of threw a bunch of different sort of what felt like coincidence, coincidences ended up doing VR. Um, but what I'm really interested in is interactivity. So, And what's the interactivity in VR that you enjoy making? I think for me, um, there's, there's different kinds of artists that work with technology, as you know. There are people who like the code is their craft and there's people who are trying to push the boundaries of what a technology can do. And for me... The thing that's really interesting is that with interactive art, you can make someone have an experience that feels like an experience they would have, you know, in real life that adds to their kind of catalog of things that they've gone through in their life, but it can be completely not like reality. So VR is perfect for that in that way. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, are there similarities between your background in poetry and creating a VR experience for people? Yes, 100%. Even though I don't think I realized it at First, I think that like when you make a poem, <laughs> when you make a poem, you have to sort of make a set of rules, either rules that you're following, like I'm writing a sonnet, or you make up your own rules as you go. But in a poem, at least the way I see it, you're always teaching a person how to read it as they're reading it. So if you set up a pattern and then you break that pattern, that moment where you break it becomes really interesting because you've trained the reader, I almost just called them a user. <laughs> you train the reader what to expect from that form, that poem. And I think VR is really, really similar because you can do anything. You start with a completely blank world. You set what the physics are like. You set what kind of interactions they're going to be. So in that way, at least the way I approach it, they feel very, very similar. And when you start making a VR project, what is it just start as a blank canvas? Do you have an idea to start off with or... Like, where does the impetus for making a project come from in your mind? It's that's funny that you asked that because so uh, the project that I'm working on right now, I 
I thought about how when, you know, when you're a writer, sometimes you look at a blank page and you're like, oh my gosh, blank page. Wow. Intimidating. And in VR, it's, you're looking at a blank world. Like the whole world is empty and you have to fill it with every aspect. So for, it starts in a different way every time. I think for me, it's usually a combination of something that I'm reading and thinking about in the world plus some kind of feeling I'm having. And then the third element is what about the technology that I'm using feels like it fits those two things. So it's kind of, you know, and sometimes it's more about the feeling. Sometimes it's more about the thing I'm reading. Sometimes it's more about the technology, but there's always that like triangle of, of things, or at least I hope so. (laughs) Can you give me an example, maybe like one of your first VR projects that you started making? how those three things came together? Yeah. So first VR project ever um, was a piece called Memory Place, which was a reconstruction of the house that I grew up in made out of home videos and pictures that were taken inside the house. And then you could navigate through it. And as you were in the place in the virtual house where that thing occurred, then that video or that... um, image would appear so it's like it's a 3d house that you created but then the videos are 2d Mm -hmm. and these are videos that were taken when in like 1988 or something (laughs) so they have sort of a vhs quality to them yeah exactly and also the textures of the house are from pulled from those videos too so it has kind of a weird look to it like it doesn't quite align in all the places or some places have like time stamps on them or other kinds of um, digital artifact or digital analog artifacts from the vi- uh, VHS um, tape on them. And so the users can free roam throughout this house? Yeah, the user. So that's funny. So I said it was my first VR piece. And the way it's set up is you're sitting in a chair and you have a joystick and you can navigate anywhere you want through the house. What's funny is that because it was my first VR piece and it was on the original um, Oculus developer kit headset. So it's only... It only tracks you in three dimensions. It made people very nauseous <laughs> sick. <laughs> so you're going down memory lane and vomiting yeah, in, your, exactly. in your old chair? It's very nauseating. So to get back to your question, the that piece was sort of... I was thinking a lot about um, how different media kind of portrays memory in different ways and what does it mean to like have a, have a memory or lose a memory. And then on top of that, thinking about what does it mean that VR, especially because Oculus had just been bought by Facebook and Facebook had been releasing all of these videos about, here's your memory of your life. So I felt there was like this perfect triangle of what is VR? What is memory? What am I thinking about a lot right now? And the research I was doing about like media archaeology is like the fancy term for it. So it was kind of, it just kind of, emerged out of those three things. I was like, oh, this is the the project. And then it's kind of about executing it, which is the painful part with programming. <laughs> so do do you want people to be able to like step into one of your memories when they go into this piece, when they try this piece? Um for for that piece in particular, I felt like it was sort of in a way like a speculative design piece. So it's a piece I feel like I made for myself and I made it for I really made it for me and my family to go into, but I think most people could relate to it because so it's not so much about coming to my memory. It's like 
yeah, you can come visit my my house, but really you should imagine this about your house. Like what would it be like for you to have this for your space? And, you know, hopefully that gets people too to think about, well, what does it mean that Facebook is going to be the one to do this for you? Um, so it's almost like a metaphor of what Facebook is doing at the time too. Like they're creating these channels that have our memories stored yeah. somewhere that we can revisit if we want to or not. Yeah. And this is like a physical or, or digital physical <laughs> hybrid in some yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, and funnily enough, maybe two years ago or something they had at one of their oculus like events they released a um like a sort of in-house research project that was we'll take your home videos and make your house out of it for vr and i was like that's weird well they must have seen your piece at some point <laughs> i mean it's possible <laughs> it's not off the table yeah might have happened. has your family tried it yes they tried it and they were extremely um, affected by it. Let's put mm. it that way. Like, I think my mom might be the first person to have cried inside of VR. <laughs> <laughs> People always talk about VR like, oh, I did this experience. It was so moving. Like, I just, I was so emotional. And I was like, nobody was as emotional as my mom visiting our house from when we were growing up. Nobody's ever been, I think. Because it's, it's, it's also just seeing the videos in the first place. But then there's this extra layer on top of it, which is, and this kind of got me deeper into thinking about this like, how do we conceptualize the world around us in terms of our thoughts and space? So after that, I did a lot of research and I'm still kind of in this track thinking about the idea of um, spatial computing and spatial thinking. So we tend to associate certain ideas or certain memories with places around us anyway. And so for that's one of the things that drives me to keep coming back to VR and AR because they kind of hook into that part of our brains, which is already thinking spatially as opposed to thinking on like a flat screen like we do with, you know, our phones and computers and other flat things. Do you think that VR is going to be a medium that people will go to explore their memories in the future? Like we'll all have sort of this hollow deck we can step back into memories and explore all of our digital collections of media? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't like to predict the future, but I think if things you're not a fortune keep teller. on, yeah, I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not a futurist, but I don't see why not. You know, people always like crave to make a better fidelity capture of a moment, like from a photography point of view. So I don't see why not if tech continues the way it's continuing, but who's to say? And so memory <laughs> place you show as like an artwork in galleries, right? Yes. And how do you install it? So there's a carpet. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important part of a VR piece, the carpet. There's a carpet. So people don't fall over. <laughs> or if they do, it's uh, a soft yeah. landing. Well, you can't fall. You're sitting in a chair. The chair is a swivel chair and it has a joystick installed. And then in front of it, there is a old monitor with like an old computer monitor with a video. The original VHS video is on it. And then... The person wearing the headset, it's also locked into that DK1, that first developer kit headset. Um, I guess that's another thing to say about my work is that even though it's VR or AR, most of them are installations. So they're not you they're not something that you could necessarily just download and experience. I mean, you, you could, but it's missing a piece of it, which is what does it look like from the outside? What do you think it's going to be like once you go into it? And then what's the experience like? And then how are you? I mean, in that piece and and in the others I've worked on, you sort of as a user become kind of a sculpture with the rest of the installation. So this one has this funny effect where you're wearing this headset 
you're in this old chair, you're on a carpet that's like this old kind of burgundy carpet, and you're facing this monitor that's playing a VHS video. So it's kind of like all of the elements that are inside of the piece, but remixed in a different you know, configuration on the outside. Yeah, it's funny when I go to see VR pieces in festivals, there's almost a performative uh, element of just the people using the VR or in VR. You can watch them. They're almost dancing and you don't see what they're seeing most of the time. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that they're sort of like a sculpture themselves. It makes sense. Yeah. There's something to play around with that that I'd find fun. Funny you should mention (laughs) that because that's what I've been doing recently, which is playing with having people see parts of the world that the first person player, the user um, is, is, uh, doing, but from different sort of outside angles. So it kind of amplifies that performative part. I keep laughing when I say user. I know it's weird to describe someone looking at art as a user. Winslow Porter, who you obviously know, um, we did a conference together and he was talking about how the word user is for, is for drugs, but we should use the word participant, but I realize that doesn't work for me because I do feel like they're like, they are, not just participating, they, in my work, at least they are driving the action forward. Nothing happens without them. There's nothing to participate in without them using the the software. So what does that feel like as a creator to put such agency on the viewer or user for an artwork? Honestly, for me, it's, it's so exciting. And I feel like, I mean, not to, you know, like, toot my own, pat myself on the back too much, toot my own horn. That's like goofy metaphor. But I feel like I figured something out in thinking of it that way because it's sort of a, when you design an interaction and you really think you put yourself in the shoes of the person who's going to try the thing you're doing, you have to like really try to embody like what is someone else going to do? So it makes you have to relate to it, this invisible person, your audience on a really personal level. Like you can't make an interactive artwork without really imagining what is it going to be like to do this thing? Are they going to know what to do? How do I have to make sure they feel? I always like to make sure people feel comfortable. I don't like to make people feel stupid. If I make people feel, you know, stressed a little, that's okay, but not, it, it has to feel intentional. So a lot of it is also being simple enough that someone knows what to do, they feel comfortable, and they're not distracted by, you know, VR itself or AR itself. Um, but I, I, it's so satisfying when you're like, I made this interaction, I'm watching people use it, and they know exactly what to do. They're not confused, and they get to go through the piece. Like, it feels like you're a wizard or a genius or, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> such a good feeling. Is there a danger in that, do you think, as an artist, that you're designing something that's appealing to everybody in a way? You know, like most art you wouldn't necessarily say is appealing to everybody who uses it or sees it or it's designed for them. Like when you're making a VR piece, you sort of have to think about designing for the audience more than maybe with a traditional painting or sculpture. Yeah. So I don't think I try to appeal to everybody, but I do try to appeal to the context that the piece is going to be shown in. So this next piece I have is going to be in a gallery. So I'm like the, the interactions can't be too complicated because nobody is going to like tell you how to do it and you don't want to waste that time like onboarding the user. Um, but let's say I'm showing something in like a gaming in context, like at a you know festival or whatever, where people are a little bit more used to those interactions and maybe it can be a little more complicated. But I think honestly, all artists, in my opinion, think about their work that way, whether they do it like intentionally or not. You imagine where this thing is going to be 
Um, and you imagine you always have an imaginary audience that you're speaking to. So this the idea of designing an interaction just amplifies that. And it also means there's a difference between making something so people will like it versus making something so they'll they're able to to understand it experience or, right. it, you know. Um so I, I think those are are kind of two separate related issues, but not the same exact thing. What are there some it, things that do not work well in VR that you've, you've come across? Like things that you've tried out for experiences in art and then you've realized, oh no, this is not going to work and I need to stay away from this? Um, so I can answer that both for my own work and for other people's work. Um, I personally, I'll speak just about my own work. I don't like moving people around, maybe because I'm scarred from memory plays. But <laughs> scarred I, by your memories. Scarred by my own yeah. <laughs> nauseating project. But I tend to have like been going with design philosophy that the environments come to you. So you're pretty much stationary and things change around the user. I don't think that means it can't work. Like I think there's I love VR experiences where you're teleporting or whatever, but it also comes down to the context. Like you can't t put an artwork in a gallery and have people teleport. Most people aren't going to know how to do that or it's going to be the thing that overshadows the content because people are like, whoa, teleporting is cool. And like maybe it's just the standard teleporting kit, but people will be more distracted by that. So uh, move movement is definitely tough. I don't like scaring people. I think. Um, because there's, there's yeah. a level of trust that's implied, right? When you're putting on this headset, that's almost different than other artworks too. Like you could scare someone, you could shock them, yeah. you could put them wherever you want suddenly. Yeah. And it feels a little scary as a viewer of VR sometimes. I think If you that's don't know true. what that's going to be about, you know, that's why they have different ratings for experiences. It's a lot like though a film, I forget who said this, I wish I remember, maybe you know, but it, you know, you're sort of in the hand, like you have to trust, the director is someone you have to trust in a film. Like, you have to trust that what they are going to do makes sense, that they did it for a reason. Like you, you have to feel like you're in good hands. And I think that doesn't mean you can't make a scary movie. But for instance, like you, if you make something that makes no sense or that someone can't follow through with, like they're, they're not going to have, a, you know, meaningful, for lack of a better word, a meaningful experience, you know? And how do you make that meaningful experience in VR? Um... I think it depends on the piece. For me, there's different ways. So Memory Place was very, like, conceptual. I think it did affect people because showing people home movies just affects people from the get-go. But I think that the, like, the force of the work came from the concept. But I think subsequent VR works that I've done are more about how do you feel, like, more like a like a poem, like, well, some poems are super conceptual too, but it unfolds in a way that you are surprised or you're discovering something or the interaction somehow has like a certain feeling or meaning. And a lot of that comes from just the same stuff in a film, like sound design or like visual design, the pacing. Um, yeah, I think the the world... The world building is a big part of it, but the pacing is a big part of it. It's a lot like a film, except you have to think about what the user is thinking the whole time 
I guess you'd think that in a film too, but yeah, it's, it's just, different. How is it different? Well, I don't editing, know. right, is a big difference a lot of the time. Like so much of filmmaking and conveying emotion is based on the edit. I right. Think. And in, in VR, there's not as many edits. Or oh. you're the editor. Right. Like the viewer is the editor. The user is the editor. I mean, and yeah. Same goes for all interactive. Well, not all interactive art. Not all. I keep qualifying things like <laughs> I know a lot about my own work and then I think about other people's work and I'm like, I can't make that. So let's talk about your own work some more. So let's talk about statement. let's talk about touching a cactus. Yeah. Uh, what is touching a cactus? Touching a cactus, the cactus piece. Where did it come from? Um. Well, um. I'll say my pal curator Gabe. <laughs> That's not where it came from, though. <laughs> is it? No, it's not. It's not. But it isn't. It isn't. Like I think I'm very uh, because of the context orientation thing. I also think I tend to think of a project like a project will come to me when I'm like, oh, I know where it'll be. So. My friend Gabe BC <laughs> was curating a show um, that was going to be at Sotheby's. And I was like, I have a, I want to make a new VR piece. And I was in this cactus store um, called the Cactus Store, which is a great <laughs> cactus. Place. Where is that? It's in LA. Sometimes they have a pop up in New York. And there was this like insane music playing that was like, <laughs> like really crazy. And the cactus store is really small and there's cactuses, cacti everywhere. And this the person who was running it that day was explaining things to us in this like extremely rapid and crazy way. And it made me feel kind of just super overwhelmed. And I was like looking at the one of the cactuses and I had this like flashback to this moment when I was a kid where I I think it was the first time I had seen a cactus and I just like I just grabbed the cactus and I got spines like all inside of my hands and it was like you know it's pretty painful yeah <laughs> it's really like a tiny soft child hands yeah like, i've done that too i don't know why when i was a kid somebody convinced me that you could touch a certain kind of cactus yeah and then i i did it and then later on i had hundreds of needles in my hand and i was yeah. like why did i believe them that doesn't make any sense yeah, it's so obvious like you look at it and you know yeah so same thing thinking about well what is special about this technology vr i was still doing you know a lot of experimenting in vr at that time and i was like oh that's funny because you could do this in vr and it wouldn't it wouldn't matter because you don't have like a physical reaction so from there the whole this piece was really different because then especially what i'm working on now and any kind of most pieces i've worked on in the past like it just all came to me at once i was like there's going to be five vignettes and there's going to be one simple thing that you do. And the gesture that the person is going to be doing is going to be the same in every single one pretty much. And it's going to unveil like a poem about virtual desire and, you know, feelings about like digital and physical. It just like it just all popped together. And then it was just like sitting around and coding and making 3D models and sounds and stuff. <laughs> so the image that popped in your mind was somebody touching a cactus. Yeah, it was the big hand just like touching the cactus. So with that piece, I drew the mock-ups first. And I was like, this is what it would look like if I was taking screenshots of it, if it existed. And then it just like... And then these five kind of poetic vignettes popped out. And then the the first one I think you can touch... Is the first one the cactus you can touch? First one... Well, it's a loop. But yeah, the first one, if you were to start it from the beginning, is the cactus. Then it's like a hand and a mirror of your own hand that you have to keep touching it to reveal the line of the poem. If you let go, it stops. Then your hand becomes like a cactus spiny texture and you if you there's balloons and you have to pop them in order to go to the next scene. 
which is kind of like a torturous because <laughs> <laughs> some people don't realize they have to yeah. pop the balloon or is well, it no because you want to grab it and oh. you can't because you're going to pop it but there's you know that's like the metaphor and then there's one where you're kind of moving your hand towards um your hands like leaving a trail behind and it appears like you're sort of inside the cactus and if you get your once you get your hand to the right position it's controlling the speed of the sound so it then it takes you to the next scene and then the last scene your hand instead of being a hand is like a mouse cursor and the what was the cactus is the computer with one of the lines of the poem on it and you have to like click through a bunch of times and then for some reason a laugh track plays i feel like it just needed to feel like over so what i I mean what i like about the piece is that unlike other vr pieces that feel very much like they're scripted and they're there's a clear narrative a lot of the time that this piece really feels surreal and like you're stepping into an artwork. Yeah. Like it, it has like a Thank you. very Magritte or I don't know. I don't know what your mm-hmm. references are for it, but the fact that your hand turns into a cactus then turns into a mouse pad, you know, it really feels like you're in a dream or hallucinatory state. Yeah. In some way. I do get that a lot about my work that it's like very hallucinatory or psychedelic which is fine part of that's the audio too i think right i mean even when you made those sounds just now that's a lot of what the sounds sound like in the piece yeah i mean one of the things i love about vr is as an art form is like you really get to make the whole thing and so i love making sound effects and doing sound design and it's kind of you know you're making a sonic like an interactive soundscape at the same time that you're making this like visual world what would you do differently with touching a cactus if you could change it now? Oh, man. The part where the hand leaves the trail, I really feel like I could have done a better job. <laughs> That's like so specific. But, you know, sometimes you look back at a piece and you're like, and that for some reason is a piece people excerpt a lot in video. And it just, it's not smooth enough. And it makes me crazy to look at. But I'm very satisfied with that piece, actually. I mean, I it's think- pretty striking as a whole because you, I mean, what you haven't said so far is that there's also a, a throne kind of yeah. <laughs> where the viewer sits and is surrounded by physical cacti. Yeah. Oh, I know what I would have changed. If I could have afforded it, I would have gotten bigger cacti. <laughs> but cacti, it turns out they're really expensive. So I couldn't, I have still all of the the small 40 cactuses in my apartment while the ones that have survived like being moved around a bunch but I really wish I could have gotten a few like really big ones instead of like 40 small ones but that's how it is is that danger part of the piece that you might actually because you can't see these real cacti when you're in the VR headset yeah I always feel like people are going to accidentally touch the the real cacti and some people knocked them over and I was like that's cool just leave them there it's part of the I mean it is because you forget I mean one of the lines in the poem is like it's about, did you forget about your surroundings? Like, do you remember what, what it looked like when you came into this space? You know, it, it plays with that pretty explicitly, this like physical, virtual conundrum. And what, so recently you've been doing AR um, and you worked with Apple. Yeah. How did that come about? The man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Apple man? The Apple man. Um, so I'm part of this um, incubator program that the new museum puts together called New Inc., Ink standing for incubator, I guess. And um, they were doing a really big collaboration with Apple, which is this ART walk, which is a bunch of like um, artists that don't typically work in AR, like Pipilotti Wrist and Nick Cave. And they did in six cities, I think, these AR walks. And as a sort of sister program to that, they wanted to have... um, something in the stores where 
an artist that does work with digital technologies um, would teach people how to look at and make AR as an art, as like an artistic medium. So with them, I got to, it's, it's crazy how like wide scale this project was, but I made a toolkit with their Swift Playgrounds team. So it's a module inside of this like learn to code app with my sound design and assets, uh, 3D assets, and then um, interactions. And then um, in all of the stores around the world, you can go and do a lab that I created um, that sort of teaches my approach to working with um, digital technology in general. And like you get to draw a mind map and then you use like these little assets to make your own little like 3D interactive experience. Um, It's pretty wild. My to... face is on the big screen in the stores. <laughs> Did you have to relinquish some control since you're working with Apple? Like, you know, the other pieces, you seem to be able to craft the entire world, all the sound and everything. Was it different mm. working with a big corporation or company? I mean, they were very flexible with me as far as what I could do. Um, but it was because I was really thinking of it both as an artist and as, as a designer, I obviously had to leave things open-ended because I'm like, whoever comes to this lab is like my collaborator. They need to have, feel like they have enough freedom to be able to do what they want with this toolkit. So, um, and it was weird because I ended up starting with the toolkit, not with an art piece. So I didn't even know what I would end up making with the thing. I was just like, here's a bunch of stuff I know I would like. I would like to be able to trigger something with distance and I would like to make it so that you can change the colors of these objects. And I would like to make it that the objects are, you know, there's at least like 15 of them and they look kind of like this. And I'd like the sound to be, you know, I made all the sounds with my mouth. (laughs) Can you give me an example of one of the sounds? (laughs) What's that? I think that's like, um, well, that's not, I don't know if that one ended up being in it. There's like a moth and the moth is like, that's like flying sound. Um, There's like a snail. The snail sound is like. That's going to be really good for people that love close mouth sounds. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> what's the difference with AR, though? Because you are relinquishing some control in terms of the uh, fact that people can put these assets wherever they want and they're making their own artwork with your yeah. art pieces in that way then. I mean, that's the thing about your tapping into something that's like, I mean, obviously, you know, too, because you work with AR and you work with VR also, where in VR, you have the ultimate control to do whatever the limits of the software and hardware can do. In AR, you have to imagine that it's going to be in a physical context where you can't control like who's walking by and what the lighting looks like. And, you know, and for me in particular in designing a toolkit, like what people are even going to do with this. But I was cool with that. I'm like, do whatever you want. That's great. I love that. But what's funny is that I think a lot of people approach AR and they try to control the environment. And it's kind of funny because I'm like, well, why don't you just do like a 3D composite later? But I've kind of changed my mind about that now because now when I think about AR and the fact that you can just use it as this like rapid tool to do compositing, that's actually a whole new like affordance and medium in itself which would be it takes people a long time to composite 3d or even 2d assets into video so like you mean compositing like why don't they just render an animation yeah rather than like doing it like who framed roger rabbit style or like or has there been a 3d movie that's like that 
3D. I'm sure there has like 3D. Well, I guess every movie. Yeah, I guess literally every movie (laughs) now. Right, like every Marvel movie is basically composited. Yeah, but you don't think about him that way. But but yeah, I guess if you had a rapid prototyping tool, or even for fast and interesting quick stories. Yeah, that's what I like about your AR stuff actually. That it feels kind of like maybe you could have composited this like in post or you know, but there's something about the spontaneity of it that's cool. And maybe it's not AR in the same way that it's like about experiencing it firsthand, but it is something about that same technology. It's like a different medium with that same technology, you know? Well, thanks. This is not a podcast about me, but uh, I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what are you, are you still working on new projects with AR? I mean, with Apple or on your own? Um, So right now I've been mostly tied up in this new VR piece, but I think there may end up being an AR component after the show opens (laughs) because I thought of this like funny idea to do in this. I don't want to over talk about it because I'm like not sure that I'll actually end up (laughs) doing it or not. But, um, you know, because me and um, Marina Zerko have a show opening up and we have this space for six weeks, I'm like, and because I then I know the context and I know what I can interact with there, it would be kind of fun to make an AR specific for that location. Tell me more about the show. So it's opening up soon? Yes. The show is opening February 6th at Bitforms Gallery. And whoever is listening, if you're in New York, you should come. Um, And it'll be open for until March 16th, I think. Um, And the show, it's called, we just changed the name, which is great. I love this name. It's called Wet Logic. Um, And it's all about how, um, so it's a two-person show and it came out of like a dialogue Marina and I have been having for about a year, which is about how normally when you think about human relationships to the environment, you think about it in what we're, what we're calling like a dry logic. So you think about like geology and like different linear time scales. Like I had this impact and it's like folded into this moment in time and like in the future it won't matter anymore. So the show is like a proposition to think about things in terms of wetness and the ocean where things are always kind of churning and moving around and, you know, it's not necessarily like this always forward moving time scale and it's not about being fixed in place and it's not about, you know, it's very kind of like philosophical mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm explaining it this way. But so, yeah, we have a collaborative sculpture, the show design we're doing collaboratively. So there's going to be some like wall treatments that are kind of interesting she has a bunch of really cool um, software-driven recombinatory animations. And then I have a VR piece in the show. And then maybe an AR piece later, but we'll see if it comes together or not. And what's the VR piece that you're making for the show? VR piece is called Water Without Wet. So it's a follow-up to um, Touching a Cactus. It's kind of similar in its like basic format, but at the same time, it's much more complicated. Um, hopefully, I have a third one in mind and I'll have like all three of those put together one day. Um, that one would be called wa- Walking in Circles. We'll see if it happens or not. Um, but Water Without Wet plays with this idea that the VR user becomes a performer and they have there's two screens on the outside that render the virtual environment in different ways from different angles. So first you see it from those screens before you go in. And when you're inside, you're getting a set of directions that are most of them are um, ways of interacting with water that you do on a regular basis so there's like big instructions and then you hear a voice it's my voice anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> your voice and it says you drink a glass of water and then you have to drink the glass of water and then you hear a line of a poem you physically are drinking a glass of water well no you virtually are drinking a oh, glass okay. of water 
Um, and then it takes you to the next scene and then you, you're taking a shower and then you have to pee and then you have to like do all this other stuff. And as you continue through this world, it gets kind of like more and more chaotic and the exterior visuals get like completely different and more chaotic and they kind of recombine like with some randomness and some sort of impact based on what it is that you did inside the space over time. So each person that visits the piece leaves a byproduct in the yeah, the so digital world. When you leave the piece, it stays in the state that you left it in up until someone else um comes into the piece. Mm-hmm. So like if you leave it in the, you know, sit down to pee vignette, then it on the outside screens it'll stay on whatever like the visual happens to be of that and like some parts of the world are on a timeline like water comes up and down and like it rains and the sun rises and sets and um but nothing will happen until someone comes and like activates the space again hmm. and um what do you want people to feel from experiencing this piece hmm that's a tough question i feel Since like we talked about crafting people's emotions so much yeah. and able to control their environment I mean, this piece was really tough because i knew because it's a collaborative show and we had talked so much about these different like concepts and essays, like I knew what I, what the topics were before I kind of knew what the emotional arc would be. So it was a little bit of a different approach than I usually take. Um, But I think it's, I think it's supposed to feel a bit disorienting. And so that then my hope is that like the next time you like wash your hands or like drink a cup of water or, you know, um, fill up a cup with a cooler, whatever the things are that you're going to have like a flashback to this weird, like atemporal, confusing environment where the water cycle is like happening in all of these like bizarre ways. I mean, really, the whole show is about feeling less attached to your own body as yours and just trying to view the world as all part of like your own sort of body in a way, you mm-hmm. know, if yeah. that makes sense. No, that does make sense. Okay. It's interesting that you're sort of hacking our consciousness. To reverse, there's a reversal in there in some way. Like yeah. the, the idea that I would be drinking a glass of water and then flash back to a VR simulation oh, or VR yeah, that's piece funny. rather than the other way around. You know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I was thinking a lot about like training simulations when I was making the piece because VR is really great for those. And right. that's one of the ways that it's like solidly like, yes, in the future, people are still going to be using VR to do training. So the fact that there's a voice and it's telling you what to do and you kind of get into this like rhythmic dance while you're doing it feels like that goes with what you're saying. Like it's a, it's a simulation of something that's supposed to be something you take with you into real life in this like kind of, I don't know. <laughs> instructional. Instructional yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> the voice is telling you like take a sip of water or what is it? Yeah. So it's like you wash your hands and you have to, wa- you wash your hands. Like, cause there's nothing else to do in the scene too. I mean, in that way it's very similar to the cactus piece. Like there's not, it's not an endless open world. It's like, if you don't do that thing, nothing else is going to happen in this space, which I don't think that works for every VR, you know, um, experience, but I think in like terms of the language that I've been building with these two pieces and hopefully with this third piece, like it's something, I don't know. I feel like it's building on itself in this way. That's pretty exciting for me. Yeah. So you'd have sort of a recognizable body of work that are these VR, what do you call them? You call them experiences? I mean, if I'm being really cheesy, I think they're VR poems. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is that cheesy? I don't know. There's something about the word poem that like turns people off and it also turns me off sometimes. Sometimes I call them poetic VR experiences, but that's too long. I don't know. What, <laughs> what do you think I should call them? I like VR poems. I mean, that's what I they feel VR like. I think they feel like reading a poem. I mean, there's different lines or the scenes in a way. Yeah. I don't know. 
That's I what mean, I felt from trying I sometimes them. call them like metaphor because they're also like these exper- like metaphors you're kind of experiencing. I don't know what they should be called, but the reason I don't like calling them VR poems too is because then I feel like people think it like puts in your mind, I think, something different than what they actually are because – when I hear VR poem, I don't think of something that's interactive and experiential. Mm, like you're going to be read to in some way. Yeah, exactly. Or talked to by an artist. Exactly, yeah. Huh. That's interesting. So what, what else are you working on now besides this piece? Yeah, so that is the the big piece. Um, I have uh, a couple like kind of secret projects. Um, I've also been doing a lot of um, experiments and um, – performances where using VR um, a VR rig as a motion capture device mm. um, so you can kind of like perform as an avatar um, with a VR headset actually Matt Romine and I might be doing we did these um, another artist who you know um, did scans of our bodies and these like really ridiculous like spacesuit outfits and we were thinking about trying to put together a performance where we like become the other person hmm. um like a, a virtual performance like a virtual physical performance a little bit like i have another project which is called the new news where i started that's like when i first started experimenting with this idea that you can be performing a virtual um avatar inside of a virtual space but also be physically present and doing like a second presentation for the people who are in the room with you um so it's a little bit part of it is a little similar similar to that and then Part of it, I don't know, he also has some ideas about what kinds of weird things we can do with our avatars. <laughs> um, and then aside from that, yeah, I have some. So through New Inc., I'm part of this track, which is called Experiments in Art and Technology, which is this um, like collaboration with Rhizome and Bell Labs. And so I've been going over to Bell Labs and working with some of the researchers there. Not sure exactly what the project I'm going to come out with is, but they have these like funny devices, which are these like ear eye like it's like a, it's like a um microphone and a speaker and a little camera hmm. and the camera is connected to the cloud so it has like computer vision um you can run like different computer vision algorithms in it so i think my first step hopefully is just going to be like a dumb experiment where i'm looking at things and having the camera try to categorize what there are they are but then at the same time i'm just describing everything i see and then hopefully i think i want that to use that device to develop some kind of like a performance, like sort of like a VR, but not with a headset or anything where everyone is sort of given instructions on what they should be doing and based on what they're looking at and kind of orchestrating something that's like a collaborative performance. But first comes testing what the actual capabilities of this funny device is. Why are they developing this thing? It's They use it for industry. So, you know, they're a research facility. So they're, they're kind of open to doing different stuff, but most of it um, is for like industrial applications. So you can imagine like someone's working in like a warehouse, like what do they like, what, how can they find out more about what it is that they're looking at? It's, it's for very like dry applications as far as I can tell. I mean, I don't know all that much about it. I guess Um, in the future, if we do all have those AR enabled contact lenses that everybody kind of dreams of yeah so it'd be a really good way to track people's daily daily lives though too right <laughs> like right i mean you have a list something... of everything you see and then you could use that for advertising and all sorts of things right? yeah for sure there's something really disturbing about it i mean and that's like a huge part of my art practice too which is like using new technologies is like it's fun and it's interesting but it's also like 
a way to reveal to the public, like, what is this thing? Like, what does it look like? What might people be doing with it? And even if it's not like, even if the artwork itself isn't like extremely critical in an obvious way, if you're sparking people's like imaginations and sparking people to engage with it, then you're, you're still sort of revealing something about the nature of the technology to people before it takes off, which I think is like a pretty, for me, it's like an important part of what I do, I think. So like with memory place, the idea that Facebook owned your memories and then yeah. also it's releasing this VR headset yeah, exactly. at the same time. Or, I mean, even with the Apple thing, it's like nobody is really using AR right now, but like people are coming to this free lab to like learn how to make a weird, funny thing. And like those people walk out thinking about what this technology might look like before it actually becomes a thing. Like to me, that's great. That's amazing because then they get to sort of drive a little bit more what it might look like or what they wouldn't want it to look like, or at least they kind of, you know, people can think about it before it just like suddenly is pervasive and it's all around you. And it's like, you know, hopefully not a mess, but maybe a mess. You know? Right. Yeah. I feel like we just got out of that period of time where, you know, we were getting all these tech companies that were throwing things at us for years. And yeah. now we've suddenly realized, oh, no, yeah. none of this is free and it all has other hidden costs. Yeah. You know? So with art, it might be interesting to explore yeah. how that could impact the world as well. <laughs> well. I think about that a lot with the web. Like the web just came about, right? Like, I mean, it's it got built in this like crazy way. And early web was so funny and idiosyncratic and people had their own websites and everyone's websites were pretty different from each other's in a way. And then now it's all super centralized into like these basically four companies and like nobody really has their own space on there anymore. But I think if more people were kind of adept in making stuff from the get go, maybe it would have turned out a little bit different. Or maybe with this hindsight of what the web is like now moving forward to new platforms, we can use some of those like lessons and building things that feel more like open and equitable and less like weirdly top down. But mm. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I still know. have my tripod site where you can see my top 10 movies Ooh. from, from <laughs> 1999. What's the URL, Gabriel? <laughs> I'm not going to give that what's out to URL? anybody. You can go on a search for that <laughs> site. Um, what's the like, what are the things that you wish you had tool wise as an artist? Like, is there something missing from the AR VR space or M- whatever we call it, mixed reality space that you'd wish you had? Um, something you're looking forward to? That's a good question. I don't think for me, I, I don't really think that way because I, I like to use things that exist um, and I like to just use them in weird ways. I'm not really like a person who craves like I'm more inspired by the things that exist or the things that are like starting to exist than I am like, oh, I really wish I could do this. Or I really wish I could do that. Um, I mean, I wish certain things were easier to do. Like, I feel like I write the same code a lot over mm-hmm. and over again. I'm like, why do I have to keep writing the same line of code over and over again? But, um, yeah. It doesn't, but no specific, like, Yeah, hardware, it's not really it's not, the way yeah. that I that I think about things. Yeah, I mean, some artists sense. do, but not me. <laughs> so um, before we wrap here, we do a tradition every week on State of the Art where we do rapid fire questions. Oh, gosh. And these are questions that maybe are not really related to your work, but it's just the first thing that pops into your head. Are they yes or no questions? No. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not. So you can always pass on them if you really want to. Okay. But they're I'm, not, I'm so nervous They're now. not that weird. Okay. So don't, don't worry. I'm, I'm um, what's a line from your favorite poem? Pass. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Or what? Tell us like one of your favorite poems, maybe. <gasps> I shouldn't. I should not have said you could oh, pass. I never give out the people that. Oh, a line of my favorite poem. No, I pass. I can't. I can't pick a favorite poem, and now I've totally blanked on any poem that I could possibly recite the line of. 
I've, I should read one of your poems that I have here. Um, so uh, what's your most favorite or least favorite social media platform? Oh, gosh, these are hard questions. Give me like your favorite and your least favorite. I guess my favorite, the one that I use the most is Twitter and the one that I hate the most is Facebook. Why? Because <laughs> Facebook is pretty, is pretty evil and Twitter is like very, it's like a collective consciousness sort of. And are you making projects at all for Twitter? Just like bad tweets. Okay. <laughs> Follow Sarah's bad tweets. Um, what animal do you most resemble? <laughs> like a weird mouse. <laughs> <laughs> a weird, why? A weird mouse. I've never actually asked anybody that question before. Maybe I'll strike it. It's a bit of a weird one. Gabe, what's the line of your favorite poem? Um, I mean, I didn't study poetry. You know, I would probably say That's like... That's what e- makes it nerve-wracking. I, I'd probably say like an E.E. E. Cummings poem. Mm. And then it would make no sense because it would just be like, wee, you know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but, I, you know, it's probably a poem you can think of, poetry major. Yeah. Um, last question here. If you had to eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Mm, pizza, because it's the best food. It's such an easy answer. There you go. Maybe a poem about pizza that'll pop in your mind. <laughs> All right, Sarah Rothberg, thank you so much for joining me this week. Is there, uh, you have a show coming out again at yes. Bitforms Gallery, yes. February February six six with Come. Marina Zerkow. Yes. So um, definitely go to see that if you're in New York and you can follow Sarah on all these social media. Where where do they find you? Uh, Instagram is Rothberg Rothberg. Twitter is Sarah Rothberg. <laughs> all right, pretty easy to remember. Thanks, Gabe. Yeah, thanks. Good to talk to you. Thanks for joining me again for another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. You can follow me at Gabe BC on pretty much every social media network. Uh, again, check out Sarah Rothberg's show with Marina Zerkow. February 6th is the opening at Bitforms Gallery in the Lower East Side. Uh, State of the Art is an at-art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Weston Stevens is our audio editor extraordinaire. And Vanessa Wilson is a producer who's actually texting me right now as I'm re- recording this final uh, outro. Hi, Vanessa. Uh, so I'll see you next week. <laughs>